So, so what made you want to get into performing? Because I'm interested in how people who are entertainer in the entertainment industry, mm. uh, how they were formed. So when did you kind of get the bug for it? Um, I feel like I've been performing since I was really, really young. I'm from Ghana. Yeah. I'm West African. Um, I used to dance at people's funerals. Okay. Um, when they do funerals, it's like a half celebration and half of it is very sad. As it should be. Like that's. Yeah. It's a, you're celebrating the life, but also you're acknowledging the passing of someone. Yeah. yeah. And so they bring me in as a, a small child to dance, and I guess I would lift up the mood. Okay. And also collect money because they throw <laughs> money at you while you're dancing. So, um, so basically you're busking at your uncle's at uncle's funeral. You know, yeah. Right? And um, there's a certain attire that you've got to wear and everything. It's it's a position. Your job is to make the whole room feel like you're cute and it's a beautiful funeral and it's supposed to feel loved. Yeah. So I was doing that and then when I turned 12, I wasn't cute because I got spots. No, of course not. Do. No one's cute. And... So they were like, no, we don't want you to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Sylvia Young. I was going to ask you about that actually. Yeah. So what made you choose Sylvia Young over other, other drama schools? Um, I was going to a Pentecostal church and the pastor's daughter was going to Sylvia Young. Mm-hmm. And as far as my mum was concerned, if it's good enough for them. It's good enough, enough for us. Exactly. If it's good enough for pastor yeah. and the preacher's daughter, yeah. good yeah, enough yeah. for you. Um, and, but Sylvia Young, I learned that um, they have a description of who they want for audition mm-hmm. and it's high restriction. They might want prickles, they might want blonde ginger, whatever. They might want you to be weighty. Mm-hmm. They write it all down. And all the time when I went to look at the store, it never described me. Not oh, once. Like, shit. I never fit. I, I, I fit the kids who, back then they were doing a play called Oliver in the West End. It was ongoing. Probably still is. I fit in. Yeah. They, they, they could put me in mm-hmm. with Oliver as the background kids that yeah. are dancing around, but I would never get a lead role because there wasn't enough lead roles being put out as plays. For, yeah, for people of colour. Yeah. We don't need to dance around this. Yeah. We don't need to dance around the subject. It's, yeah. it's a fact. So I, mean, I didn't get very far, but I learned how to deal with rejection. Yeah, that's... That's really good. So, what kind of things did you actually do at Sylvia Young? Like, was it just... Oh, you do singing. Um, uh, you sing songs from all the Disney um, cartoons. And then you sing some modern songs as well. Depends mm-hmm. on... But it's a lot of voice coaching with the piano. Um, you do jazz, contemporary, um, street dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you get to do? You go on trips sometimes. Yeah. They take you on a trip. I was only doing... Weekend, Sylvia Young. Oh, okay. And then do the whole. It'd cost even more if I was there. Yeah. Throughout the t- no, I was just doing it on the weekend. That's cool, actually. Mm-hmm. So I did um, something similar. I did something called Jigsaw on a Sunday. Okay. And there was a thing with the agency as well. There's a thing where you can go to an agency and blah, blah, blah. But nothing, nothing really sort of came with it. But what those things are good for, I think, is a good for teaching confidence and speaking in front of people, aren't they? Uh, I, I just learned how to take rejection. Yeah. I learned how to accept that as a black girl, you're not gonna get that starring role unless someone yeah. writes a play for you. For people like us. That's true. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because I feel like we're now in a realm where people like us we're selling. Yeah. Well, you know? suddenly it's cool, and suddenly it's a marketable thing. But we need to. We need to be careful that it doesn't become a fad, but that when the the vibrations are flowing for us to step up, 
mm. in terms of entertainment or anything, but we take advantage of it yeah. and do something that has longevity with it. Mm. Like Tyler Perry's just got his studio. Right. I don't necessarily enjoy all of Tyler Perry's work, but I respect the man's hustle. And to get to where he is now, where he's a, a mogul in inverted, in inverted commas, that's amazing. I, I, I come up from the days of Spike Lee's, yeah. uh, Do The Right Thing, school days. So when I was coming up, there was lots of black TV, mm. there was lots of black adverts. Yeah. BBC Two has all types of Asian adverts. Yeah. They told us about Tilda Rice. Like, yeah. Um, Channel 4 had loads of black adverts of the Soul Train. Yeah. You don't see any of, of that no. anymore. No. But you... we're supposed to have moved forward, like, we're supposed to be more evolved, more modern. But when you look back then, it feels like we're more involved well, in terms yeah. of TV. Yeah, because there was a lot more. There's a lot more. Well, there's a lot more colour faces on the TV back then. Well, there are a lot more show, well, shows dedicated for people of colour, for black people, people of colour, people of different races back then. But what they've kind of done now is they've kind of spread it out. So if they think that they they've got one black character, one Asian character in the show, then they'll be like, oh. We've, got, we've done it. Quota. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really all it is at the moment. If you've got a female character, you've got a transgender character, they've got a black character, they, that's all it is. It's a quota now. Because mm. everyone's trying to look more woke than they actually are, I think. This is very, 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 very true. Um, you can see where we were. If you look back in the 80s or the mm. 90s, um, we were less politically correct, which yeah. meant that we were openly laughing about stuff. Yeah. Um, you had um, sitcoms like Alf Garnet. That was very racist. Yeah. My whole family sat down to watch that. Okay. They waited for his uh, racist humour. Yeah. They wait because it, it's out in the open. Yeah. We're all laughing about it. Elephant, we dressed the elephant in the room. Yeah. So from that to Rising Dan to Will McCoy, which yeah. had both Asian and black people. Certainly did, yeah. Doing a oneness. Right now, you, you don't really have Asian and black. You have a, a show that's the Kumars. Yeah. Asian. Then you might have a show that's but yeah. that, that, that mixing the different genres of different types of people. It, didn't, it doesn't happen anymore. No, it's true. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. But how can we move forward? That's the question. How can we move forward to get to that point? Well, it's sad that we'd have to move forward. But even when you look forward, you have to look back. Yeah. But when I look back at TV back in those days, it looked more innovative than mm. what it does now. Yeah. Like right now, our hair, like you've got uh, an afro. Underneath yeah. this, I have an afro. Yeah. When I was growing up, people wanted to have afros. People went to the hairdressers, got their hair curly permed. Yeah. There's, there was all types of uh, European people with afros because the big curly look was a disco look. It was a thing. Yeah. Now it's not. It's not in. I'm a novelty. I'm, I'm a novelty right now. Yeah. I've been to work with my afro before and someone's gone, oh, look at disco. It's my, this is my real hair. Like. It's not a disco. That's it's not mad. a party. It's not a disco. No. It's, just, it's just me trying to be more natural. So how did that feel to you when that happened? Um, it just lets us know that even though we want the UK to feel all inclusive, mm. it's just unfortunate. Yeah. It's just kind of not. I not in the way we need it to be. Yeah, I completely agree. Like one of the things I hate is when I'm out and someone just randomly tries to come and touch it. Yeah. yeah. I can't they do it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I know, just like the. Oh, black girl situation. oh no no no! It's a it's it's everything. Yeah. Do they not ask first? Sometimes they do, and I say no. But even when I say no, they still, they still try to. So I go like, 
It's an invasion of your space. It's a privacy. I was in a pub like like a few months ago, and I sat down with one of my friends, one of my friends off to work, mm. and the guy came up and said, "Oh, I'm gonna touch your hair." And I was like, he tried to do it, so I was like, "Put his hand away." And, he was, and he's like, "Oh, you didn't need to do it." I was like, "Mate, you just tried to touch You're not, me." Not at the zoo. No. You can't just reach out and be exactly. People. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's it. But that's. And he wasn't even white. He was Asian. <laughs> I've noticed that everybody feels like they can just come over and touch hair. Um, hair is a big deal. Yeah. It's um, part of your identity. It is. But when somebody else takes your hair, it's just a costume, it's a maxi dress. It is. Costume for them. So I think that the outside sometimes lack respect for your identity. Yeah. I mean, I've been in many situations where they have respect, but they haven't respected it. Mm. But there's a lot of it is done out of ignorance, which is like, fair enough, and they've learned from it. But at the same time it should i don't like the fact that we have to do that we have to say i don't want to have my hair touched mm, no it's your space you shouldn't have to mm. uh justify anything about it you should feel free yeah you know so, admit, i do see people's hair and sometimes want to touch it even their beard if the yeah. beard is amazing you do you want to touch you like yeah you wonder how it felt but you wouldn't go you wouldn't cross that boundary because that's you kind of know how it feels isn't it but i suppose when you're coming from a place where you don't know how it feels Mm. and you've not had to go through that it's respect it's it's respect yeah but um, same as if someone had a dog can i touch the dog they would ask of course no no my dog i might be touched yeah and then they don't Exactly. They don't still carry on reaching out to your dog even though you've just said no. It's mm. just slightly disrespectful. It's kind of disrespectful. And also they know that if they touch the dog, they're going to get bitten. It's the same thing as humans. Same thing. So what got you into comedy? Um, yeah, so I did performing arts. And then somebody said to me that if I took performing arts seriously, I'd be broke for a little bit. And back then, I did not really want to be broke. No. I was just really... I was always working. Yeah. Um, so being broke didn't feel right, and um, it put me on. So I just I started working harder than ever. Just the thought of being broke it mm. really upset me. And then um, the credit crunch came. Yeah. And I saw CEOs take their own lives. Yeah. Um, people who valued themselves based on money, like without money, you know, yeah. Asian, you know? yeah. That's what I was doing. Yeah. I was like, I was earning enough. Then I didn't know what to do with my kids. We looked for things to do. Yeah. Um, and then the job went and I felt devalued. Yeah. I felt like I didn't mean anything. I felt like I was a disappointment to my children. What the, uh, what, what, job did, what job was it? I worked in recruitment for okay. a job board. And I enjoyed helping people find work. Yeah. Uh, the whole, everything of the whole job, everything about it. You know when you find a job that is actually the perfect match for you. Yeah. That was my job. Nice. I used to come in very early. Yeah. Um, I used to help people out who didn't really necessarily need my help. I just enjoyed the job that much. Yeah. Um, so when I was made redundant, which I've never been made redundant before, I didn't know what that was. All of mm. it was shocking to my system. Remember, black girls, we have to get our hair done every two weeks. Of course, yeah. We get our nails done. <laughs> None of that was happening. I looked at my room, I looked at my staff. Um, this word. I just imagine like the split ends, just yeah, like just. I'm like, I get my hair done. It's like, Mary, you've had that hair stuff for a whole week. It's like, you need to change it. So I, um, I humbled myself, and I got depressed. But I humbled myself. Like, 
I didn't have to have all these things that I'd mm. become so accustomed to. Yeah. Um, and then I realized that if I can't laugh at what I'm going through, it's going to send me into a deeper level of depression. Yeah. Um, it's going to consume me. So I was working for accommodation, student accommodation place, and this girl called Tanya Moore. Oh, okay. She was working there. When I Comedy met, is Tanya Moore, yeah? yeah? Nice one. When I met her, um, I felt like we had a lot of things in common. Mm-hmm. She was like, I do comedy. I said, no, way, well, I love comedy. I was like, Felicity, I've been ignored her. She was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I'll follow you. So I followed her up and down while she was doing, because you always need a plus one. Yeah, yeah obviously, so yeah. I didn't know. I just thought she'd be really cool. For those, for those of you, if you're listening outside of London, that's a thing here. It does, it does not exist outside, outside of London. London. No, it doesn't Which at all. Which is weird, because there's more people in London, so you wouldn't think you'd have to make comedians bring people with them. But there's more, more people means more comedy nights. And when you're trying to fight, and do you know what? When you're trying to fight against like the last top secret, and the likes of the comedy store where you can go, well, top scene where you can go see like anyone for like a pound or the comedy store or whatever else. Mm. It's going to be much harder to get audiences into a open mic, to an open mic night, isn't it? Yeah, you have a point. Yeah. I've seen some open mic nights be really successful and yeah. others that it's only a few people turning up. Yeah. I used to do my own comedy night. Oh, did you? What was it? Oh, was it called Stitches? Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, aside of running it uh, once a month, mm-hmm. that was okay. Yeah. Take a whole month to promote. Yeah. Then the guy was like, yeah, yeah, do it every week. And I was like, every week? It's not church. No, exactly. Like, I have to be here like this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they don't need it like this. Like, once a month, spend all money. But every week? It's not church. Mm. But he was like, do it. And then I was doing it. And I learned that in the summer months, in April, uh, August, it can go a bit quiet. Oh, yeah. All the, everyone's going to do fringe. Yeah. And then before and after that, I was able to fill out the place. Yeah. But then I, I used to charm people off the street to come in because I'm not a promoter. Yeah. So I charmed this young guy off the street and he, um, he had epilepsy, but I didn't know he had epilepsy. Okay. And um, he was very annoying, so I gave him a job to do, so that he could have yeah. something to do, come yeah. in, you know. And um, he was very good at his job. He played music, and he'd also usher people in. So by the time I get there, people, music's bubbling. Hey, start with it. Yeah. And then one day he went out with his friends, and then he got drunk, and then he had an epileptic fit, oh. and then he passed away. I was coming back from Birmingham from a gig in Birmingham, and then they called me and they told me, and it was just was hard, hard to do the comedy show because he it felt like the boy was everywhere yeah and then he wasn't there and it just felt a bit quieter but when people get on your nerves it's not a bad thing you know no, it's not. not there to get on your nerves the place can seem a bit dull yeah and his spirit was always the, well even though it got on your nerves he was I, probably very thankful that you gave him something to do i i uh, contacted his mum mm. um I, i'm a mum as well i've got two kids yeah and um, I could feel her pain, so I organised to do a funeral with her mm-hmm. for her son. We did poetry, we did jokes. That's I did, good. I did her son's jokes. Like, <laughs> I was even saying, there's lots, lots of girls in here, like, we can't tell whether these girls are side chicks or one of them is girlfriend. <laughs> like, it's been all awkward. But I learned that you could use comedy to soothe people mm. if you accompany it with the right thing. That's it. Food music could be poetry you yeah. can tackle any subject like that's what I think that's the beautiful thing about what we kind of do is that we can make someone else's day feel amazing 
just by speak just by speaking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's an amazing power to have. I think as well, I, didn't, I, I wasn't always someone who fitted in. No. Um, I'm like the back in the 80s, 90s, they had a, a cartoon called the Raggy Dolls. Oh, yeah. And I feel like, even when I used to watch cartoon back then, I felt like I was one of them. Really? Just don't fit in. Okay. And it's interesting because when you're a kid, you want to fit in. So you go through that, I don't fit in, what's wrong with me? Mm. And then as you get older, young, like our age, mm. you don't need to fit in. No. It's not a thing, it's dead. Exactly. It's Exactly. Out, you know? Do you know I quite like? Because I, I work in a secondary school, you see. So I, I do learning and behaviour support. Okay. But what I'm finding now is that the kids that don't fit in are still are now properly been are now properly been accepted by literally everyone. Like they're kind of like they're not exactly like the they're not exactly outcasts. They're just like not exactly in in there with the in crowd but exactly yeah yeah that's it practicing tolerance and the harder kids are kind of like admitting that they like certain things like certain nerdy stuff like i don't know anime or whatever else so they're everyone's kind of i do do, i'm not gonna lie i have felt that the the uk tried to regulate society's identity a little bit yeah and it might be based on the way that a lot of girls kids who get bullied Mm. go on to commit suicide yeah um, regardless of why they're being bullied whether it's their identity or their skin or their hair yeah they're still going to feel so bad yeah that it makes the victims more victims yeah and then the the villains but they don't get anything. They no, don't get of the repercussion. No, they just not. fade to black and they go on to use other people. Yeah. So I understand why now they've made it easier for boys to to uh, be aware of their feminine side, yeah. to be a bit softer. Yeah. And I know that it allows them to um, accept children that are different. Yeah. I get it. But then in the same breath, um, I don't think necessarily that children need to be taught so much about sexual. Of course, oh, of course not. No, I was not. I was not. I was not talking about that at all. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Like that should There's be. Levels in there. For me, that should be almost completely down to the parents. Almost completely down to the parents. I mean, I think in maybe like when they turn about 13, 14, maybe. Then they should. Then maybe there should be like a basic class uh, saying, "Okay, your body's going through this. Mm. Uh, like, do you mm. have any questions?" But from nursery, I'm like, no. I'm but sorry. you see why they're doing it from at first. I thought they wanted to intervene on the little children's minds. But what I'm learning is most of these kids have mum and mum, dad and dad. Yeah. So when you're, someone's picking you up, it's not the same as how it was back in the 80s. No, but it it's not. Mom and mom. No. You know, so they're just trying to get people uh, comfortable. Comfortable with it, yeah. So it's not like. It's not a big deal. It's not, yeah, it's not a big deal. And it's like, I can. Unless kids can feel so. Yeah. Kids can feel bad. Yeah. And, yeah, that's it. Makes them feel, makes them feel, makes them feel accepted. Kind of, kind of, in a kind of way. I love how we've got to be like very careful what we say in this conversation. It's like, like. You in the 80s, you could say a lot about someone's sexuality. Yeah. You could sound as, in the 80s, you could go, you could sound I was born, I was born in the, I was born in the 90s, but yeah, but yeah, same sentiment, same sentiment, but same sentiment though. Like when you were growing up, it was not. There was no PC, nothing. There was no PC. Yeah. Like, 
there was there was no sensitivity no. towards anybody's issue. No. Like everyone was a savage yeah. at school. I mean, in a way that was kind of good because it gave you a lot of backbone. But at the same but at the same time, it made a lot of kids feel shit. And I think that you'd have to like to actually have the backbone you needed to have a strong foundation behind you, like your family and that. And I know for a fact that a lot of kids don't have the stable didn't have the stable background that I had. So I had a strong foundation to actually help build me up as well. As well. Yeah, your mum and dad together. Yeah. yeah. Oh that's nice. Yeah. Do- you see the difference between kids at school now to those who may have been at school when, in terms of having the dads in mm. their life. Is there any different? Um, the thing is, a lot of the kids that I work, quite a few of the kids that I work with, don't have don't have dads, but a lot of them do still have a strong parent in the house, or a strong family, or a strong grandfather, or a strong uncle. So even though there may not be the father there. There's still a semi-strong family unit, but there still are a range of emotions. Like when, when it comes to talking about their dad and whatever, talking about their dad and whatever else. Yeah. And what I've kind of found is that, weirdly enough, some of the, some of the kids I work with, they'll tell me stuff though before they'll tell before they'll tell their parents. Wow. So it's kind of a bit like, oh, okay, I am literally the only person that you can t- talk to about this about this subject, like whether it be sex or whatever it be i don't know drugs or whatever whatever it is but it's weird for me because i always had that at home so it's kind of like okay i'm essentially this kid's support system Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i've now got to train myself to be okay with be okay with that and not be judgmental about it because i just got to accept that that's the situation isn't it you hear lots of kids um talk as adults talk about teachers that made an impact on their yeah. life yeah they didn't have that support yeah. when they were at home and yeah. they literally remember the teachers names teachers anything exactly yeah. what they, so it's a blessing to have teachers like you in the schools especially with children that are coming from backgrounds that are really fractured yeah yeah and it's, so what was it like growing up for you um i i was brought up with my parents but then i was also um, put into foster care for quite okay. a bit okay I think in the 80s, it was like, yeah, yeah, if you want to, take the kids to foster care. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the get done, rid of them. The thing to do, yeah. yeah. Because, you know how I know this? Because um, my parents have a picture of them married. Yeah. And in the picture, there's kids. And I'm like, where am I? And where are my brothers and sisters yeah. in the picture? And I think you was in foster care. Why? When you were getting married. Like, why am I not there? Um, but my mum's not a maternal person. person. Okay, fair yeah. So to her, looking after children, it just feels odd, strange, weird. Um, and also, she didn't stay with my dad. So okay. I grew up with my stepdad. Okay. And I didn't even know that until I turned twenty something. Really? Yes. Africans will hold a whole heap of stuff oh. from me. <laughs> Whereas Caribbeans, you just like let it all out in the open. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I quite like how Caribbeans move because they keep it in the open. You're not yeah. going to end up dating your own brother or cousin. No. Whereas Garnens, you might meet someone you've got so much in common with and then when everyone meets there is your brother, you're like, huh? Oh Lord no. Oh. So it's good to know who's who in your family. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um but I, I did uh comedy because in my household making my mum laugh is an easier bet than allowing her to be angry. She's yeah. very she's very aggressive with her child rearing and it can make the room intense. 
Yeah. And it can make children feel scared and uncomfortable. Yeah. But I learned with her that if I kept her smiling, happy, whatever, just becoming people pleaser if you're a kid, yeah. then I had an easier life as opposed to letting her get upset and angry. Yeah. Uh, I get, I can, yeah, I get that. I mean, it's not my experience, but I can completely like understand mm. why you'd have to have. Well, not exactly be the voice of reason, but like keep you have. You feel like you have to be the one to keep things calm, isn't mm. it? And that's a lot of responsibility. That is a lot of responsibility to have. I, I felt like I was the one that would have to. If I made her laugh and smile, I feel relaxed. Yeah. I feel calm because as long as she's not angry or getting to another level of angry, the more okay. So it made me do lots of impressions. Yeah. Um, I'd mock um, adverts that we watch together. Um, I make up funny stuff with her <laughs> so that she can have. You know when you say stuff and you reference something and it's always just yeah. 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 Well, my mum passed away on the eighth, so when I do talk oh, about it, sorry. It, is, it is like yeah, it's weird. Was well, she passed away this year? Um, December. Oh, sorry. Oh, apologies. apologies. Oh, she's not. A, she's not like. She's like that guy, the one with the epilepsy. She's a bit annoying. Yeah. That's why she's well missed. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. She's like fighting. Yeah. Oh, really? She had a thing against Jamaican people, <laughs> but she used to act so Jamaican. <laughs> she's always starting something. So. <laughs> That's brilliant. I think humour allows you to deal with quite painful issues. Yeah. Like right. she used to beat us all the time, me and my brothers. And um one time while she was in Ghana, me and my brothers completely got together and we would compare who got beaten the most, who do impressions, how do you know what I mean? It it became comical like a cartoon yeah. less about how much abuse. Yeah. It's almost like as soon as you accepted that that was the abuse, now you're comparing who got the most abuse on the competition. It's kind of making light of a dark situation, isn't it? You've got to. I suppose, yeah. I mean, you need to acknowledge the dark thing that happened to you, but at the same time, if you're going to move, if you're going to move past it, you sort of need to see a funny side to it, if that makes sense. Not, not in like the worst, worst, worst situations, mm. but in situations like that, where it's bad, but you can have some, le- there can be some levity. There, there's, when I think about the beatings, there's so many different ways that I can turn it into material. Mm. Uh, yeah. And also I'm coming from a time where, um, like I said, the adverts were more interesting. Yeah. We had, we had, being a black girl coming from the 80s, you watched American TV, mm. they had beautiful hair like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Black women were shaking their hair, like, what kind of pot are you using in their hair? And then you go get your hair done and it doesn't shake. And it's, no. it was this thing that they, the Americans had something extra that we, we wanted so bad. Yeah. And it was some sort of, they were free to be charismatic yeah. and uh, creative. Whereas in the, it felt a bit constrained, you felt a bit, do you know what I mean? I couldn't just do what you wanted to do. And then as I got older, um, I did performing arts at Hammersmith in West London. Nice. I got to do loads of performances, performed at the Lyric Theatre. No. Just around the corner from the college, really, so I think they had a little... The little link, little yeah, link there's a it. link, yeah, there's yeah. a link, yeah. But I was still gassed. <laughs> um, I loved it. Uh, it let me it let me understand if it was something I really wanted to do. Yeah. If the credit crunch hadn't have come along, I might still be working at Fish for jobs. Um, but 
as well, I couldn't afford therapy, like, like uh, the financial crash caused really smart people who owned business to kill themselves. Like. Yeah. So we were all mentally suffering. Those who put their self-worth in money, we were all suffering. I couldn't afford to do um, counselling, therapy, none of that. So when comedy came along, it felt like nature's Nature's way of telling you, okay, you can speak. To, I'm not saying that comedy is a, the best way to do therapy, but it is a way for you to process and understand the situation, isn't it? And for you to tell to tell someone that you know that you don't really know, i.e., the audience, how you felt in that situation. Mm, and, 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 and like, if you haven't been broke then like your story ain't gonna be interesting you, you no. need to you've got to experience some hardship that's it for your story to actually touch other people people get um irritated by people who've got like perfect lives yeah no one wants to hear it like, exactly i can't relate my life isn't perfect no which is why sometimes people wait for the um celebrities lives to to flop like the kardashians who wait for their life to flop because yeah. too much perfection you get on our nerves yeah that's it so comedy is the way of addressing stuff and knowing that I'm not the only one. Because that's what happens when you're stressed. You go, I'm the only one going through it. You'll be all right. Other yeah. people going through it. Knowing that other people going through it doesn't make me feel better. No. I just think, shit, man. All of us are going through it. What are we going to do? Like, no big yay. It's um, just like, everyone's going through this. Who's got a solution? Yeah. Anybody? No one? Well, they'll say someone's situation is worse than yours. You're like, shit, really? No. no. We've got to help each other. So... I don't feel better knowing someone's suffering more than me, but more, I feel like I want to speak to people who are suffering so that we can all share our pain together. Yeah. And you never know. When you're in rooms, like comedic rooms, there's always someone who's got something somebody else needs. Yeah, someone needs so, a job. Someone advertise. You know, there's yeah. always something, but we don't see it. Yeah. I think you need to connect more. Like I, was with, I, was at a night the other, I was at a night recently, and... I was speaking to another comic and I said, oh, have you gigged outside of London? And they was like, no. I was like, okay, let me give you some promoters. And I saw a message in promoters. He's like, oh, thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think that's such a, do you know what? It's so, it's weird that, and it's kind of sad, that things, or someone being nice to you on our circuit can be, is, is so rare. And also sometimes you can be really nice and yeah. you won't get nothing back and you will... You could end up suffering on your own. It yeah. doesn't necessarily mean you've built a rapport with anybody. And, no. And you can... I spoke to a really mature comedian. I think his name's Kyle. Kyle is a white guy. Might be yeah. gay. I think he's gay. I heard him going on about it. And Kyle's been doing comedy for you. Yeah. Uh, he does his own show somewhere. Kyle does. So, you've reached the end of part one. Uh, click up to part two where you can hear the rest of my conversation with the wonderful Mo Real.